0: From Talk 910, KNEW, San Francisco, this is Rob Black. Rob talks about your money every weekday, live and local, from 10 to noon. Enjoy the show. Live from the Bay Area, your money, your life, this is Rob Black.
1: Welcome in. It's the Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. While we ended the last hour with a caller who had one million plus with a fee only advisor who has decided to become a uh, basically get a piece of the action advisor. It would depend on the individual, but I would say you want to view this as now a new person. When she was only hourly, you know, two hundred, four hundred dollars a visit, probably maybe two thousand, three thousand dollars for a whole financial plan, and that financial plan would last you for a good five years. It's not the worst thing in the world. But now that she's going to want to do it on a regular basis for a piece of the action, a percentage, typically one basis point, or I'm sorry, 100 basis points or one percentage point, you have to look at it differently. Maybe that's in your best interest. Maybe. I don't know what sort of fund she's pushing. I don't know if she's pushing annuities. I don't know her business, but I would say you want to introduce you want to interview with two to three financial planners at that point in time, not just one, two to three full-time financial planners. Now, a financial planner who's full-time, I like. I think it's where the industry goes. If you're working hourly, it's very frustrating. If you're good at what you do, you want a $101 million clients, and that's all you do is dedicate your time to them. Maybe you go $30 million clients, seventy five dollars clients. I don't know, what you're, you're, you, but you only have so much bandwidth, so you can only grow so much as a financial planner. And by getting a piece of the action, you kind of incentivize yourself to do good over time. You'd be hurting yourself if the market cracks 50% and your client went down 50%. So you want to incentivize yourself over time. So what I would say is you probably want to interview two to three certified financial planners and see what their plan is. If the person is definitively moving away from hourly, I don't really like hourly financial planners myself. Now That's just my personal angle. If you need a referral to a financial planner, it's me an email rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. Let's go to Rick and Martinez. Rick.
2: Hi, Rob. Um, California teacher, 30000 in a variable MetLife annuity. The penalty phase is over if I want to take it out. I want to take it out and put it in a Roth IRA and then continue 403B. Uh, is that a dumb idea, okay, or will I be taxed too heavily?
1: You'll be taxed on it. Can you afford the tax?
2: How much tax?
1: Um, it's going to depend on what your cost basis was, and I don't know what your cost basis uh- was.
2: I, I was under the impression that in 2010, there would be a time to move monies around without taking the regular tax it. Am I wrong?
1: It's not taking the regular tax it. You're deferring it over a two-year period.
2: Yeah, because it's still going to be in a retirement vehicle just out of the MetLife variable into a Fidelity.
1: But the MetLife variable, you didn't pay any state or federal taxes when you put it
2: in. Right, right. It came right out of the paycheck. It was right. a 403B, but I didn't know about it. Annuities slash stuff 10 years ago that I know now. Now,
1: keep in mind, you might be in a decent product because sometimes teachers get set up with good product. Sometimes firefighters get set up with good product. Whereas the variable annuity that's sold to you the day you retire typically very bad product. Um, So it differs like gold and clay. But what I would do is I would call Fidelity Rick and run through some scenarios with them on your income and maybe what your cost basis would be or your best guess case scenario on your tax consequences would be and whether or not you should roll it over into a regular IRA or a Roth IRA. Um, But you are going to have to pay taxes on that.
2: Okay. Well, thank you very much.
1: Thanks for the call. Now, again, in 2010, there's this little loophole where you can spread it out over a couple of years, uh, your tax basis. And that's not a bad thing. And a lot of people are going to be taking advantage of this, but variable annuities, they're sold more aggressively than fake Gucci bags. And as a teacher it's, it's tragic because it's typically not the best product. In early January, I'm going to be te- talking to, this is going to be pretty cool. It's going to be 800 new starting school teachers. I like that. I'm going to be talking to a room of 800 teachers. I'm going to be going over their, their 403B options, their pension options, um, their CalPERS options, everything that's all, all kind of important to teachers and, and firefighters and, and, and the public people who we underpay, but we give them great benefits, Some people say we overpay teachers. I don't think we do. So a variable annuity basically is a tax-deferred investment vehicle that comes with an insurance contract usually designed to protect you from a loss in capital. Thanks to the insurance wrapper, earnings inside the annuity grow tax-deferred, and the account isn't subject to annual contribution limits like those on other tax-favored vehicles like IRAs and 401Ks. Typically, you can choose from a menu of mutual funds. Variable annuities can be immediate or deferred. There's a death benefit tied towards it. There's a surrender fee tied towards it. There's an early withdrawal fee tied towards it. There's a higher cost Of commissions. There's a higher cost of management tied towards them, so they're typically not appropriate for people, except for young, sexy, high earner incomes. And then they can be appropriate if you do them through Vanguard or T. Rowe Price. But through no other company. Maybe, maybe Fidelity. 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-345- 5639 to get your calls on the air. Now, earlier in the show, I talked about healthcare insurance reform and how the Democrats are getting pretty damn close to introducing it to you. Now, Aetna, WellPoint, and other managed care stocks. There's something you have to take a look at. Keep in mind, windfall profit tax. You keep hearing about this Democrat-imposed windfall profit tax that could be imposed on health insurers as early as 2010. It could hurt managed care stocks. And it would be a $6.7 billion windfall Profit tax. Now, the five major stocks are United Healthcare, ticker symbol UNH, Wellpoint WLP, Humana HUM, Aetna AET, cigna CI. They trade an average eight times two thousand nine profits. They trade an average eight times two thousand ten. Now, typically, the average stock market trades somewhere between twelve and twenty. We're closer to twenty right now, but we're in an accelerating earnings environment, so we can withstand that. Trading at eight times next year's earnings is cheap, but that tells you that Wall Street thinks. WellPoint, Humana, Aetna, Cigna, and UnitedHealth. These big insurance companies are going to be hit by Congress every single year with a windfall profit tax. You've also heard about Congress trying to strip their monopolies away from them. Amongst a few industries within the comparable PE, you got property and casualty insurers. you got major drug companies. And major drug companies like Merck and Pfizer, they're expected to give away their drugs at a much cheaper cost. But they're going to be giving away to a lot more people. Now, I like Aetna, and I like WellPoint. I like United Health. Healthcare reform will result in faster spending growth on healthcare. Almost nothing is being done to control costs. I think it's going to be a disaster for the country, but I think it's going to be a big boom for Cigna, Aetna, and Healthcare. They got the lowest percentage of their revenue and profits from the two sectors the most threatened by legislation, which are policies for individuals and small groups for in Medicare. 25, that's just what I throw out there. You want to look at the ones who've got more angle towards Medicare and not more angle towards young and uninsured. 800 345 to get your calls in the air. It's 800 345 to get your calls in the air. It's the Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. Coming up, we're going to be speaking with Vicus. Vicus. Why don't I have the name in front of me? 800 345 Vikas Mittal from Financial Times, 800 to get your calls in there. It's Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Let's take a break here. We'll be right back. Joining me now, Vikas Mittal from Rice University, Jones Graduate School of Business. Welcome in, Mr. Mittal. Hi, how are you? I'm well. Now, I do a show dedicated towards money and the economy, so I talk about stocks, I talk about investing in 401ks, but on occasion I talk about spending, and uh, you just released a new study on spending. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and about the study. Sure.
3: So, uh, I'm a professor of marketing at the Jones School of Business at Rice University. And uh, the study we conducted to understand how consumer culture uh, influences their spending, specifically impulsive buying. And uh, what we find in a lot of studies is that about 80% of purchases that people make, especially luxury cups, are based on impulsive impulse buying. You know, so we wanted to understand you know, if there is an influence of culture on impulsive buying.
1: Now impulsive buying how do you define impulsive buying is that luxury goods is that stopping at 711 and getting in a chunky bar what what is impulsive buying
3: sure so impulsive buying typically includes that buying which is unplanned and you know impulsive buying is also sort of associated with this uh, emotional rush that you know you get emotional uh, 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 like an emotional rush from just the act of buying and almost always impulsive buying is unplanned. You know, so if I go and buy Halloween candy because I, have to, I know that I need to buy it and distribute it later on for Halloween, that would not qualify as impulsive buying. But if I'm at a store just shopping for something and I see this candy, I just cannot resist the urge to buy it. And immediately buying and immediately consuming the candy gives me this emotional uh, benefit. That would qualify as impulsive buying.
1: Now, your study broke it down into the United States versus other cultures. What else? did you, Tell us what you found out there.
3: So, uh, what we did in this study is we looked at this concept called, uh, you know, power-distance belief. And uh, what it basically is, is, you know, the, the attitude that people have toward equality. You know, so in some countries, the attitude people have toward equality is that equality is a great thing, and in other countries and cultures, what you find is that people have an attitude that inequality, which is, you know, you know, wide variation in power, is actually a good thing for society, you know. Um, People have done studies ranking different countries on uh, this scale, and what you typically find, for example, are countries like Malaysia, for example, has the highest score. So people in Malaysia typically believe that inequality is actually good for society and it's functional. And on the opposite end, you have countries like um, Denmark and Austria, which have very low scores on this, meaning that people in those countries believe that equality is very functional for society. So Americans rank about in the middle, a little bit below the middle with a score of 40. You know, and Australia and Netherlands also kind of rank with the U.S. And what we find is that the more people believe that equality is good for society, the more likely they are to engage in impulsive buying.
1: Where did so you much- go ahead?
3: Which which, which is kind of surprising because we thought that – we had originally thought that the more people believe in equality means that, you know, they might feel that they're more in control of their lives and they should be able to um, control themselves better. But what we find is exactly the opposite. You know, so even within the U.S., we did, like, a survey of U.S. consumers, and we were able to uh, rank the consumers based on their equality score, and what we find is those consumers – who were high on the scale also had the most impulsive buying. And the consumers who were lower on the scale had less impulsive
1: buying. Speaking with Vikas Mattel from Rice University, where do you see the U.S. consumer going, Vikas? We're coming out of a recession. Will we be more under control, or will we get right back to our impulsive buying habits?
3: Well, so, you know, so right now what we're finding is that, you know, people who've been doing service of consumers what you find typically is that consumers are planning to um, spend less. So, for example, a recent survey that showed that about 56% of Americans plan to save money this year in the winter holiday, and about 30% have already started to set goals in terms of how much money they will or they will not spend. You know, But what what is the problem with all of this is the following, that impulsive buying typically – is exactly the opposite, right? So you have a plan and then you want to be able to stick to that plan and when you are impulsively buying, you may not be able to stick to the plan. What what we also find is, you know, that typically consumers who are from a higher income stratum, uh-huh. they actually tend to have less impulsive buying. You know, if you think about it, the rich don't get rich by being impulsive. You know, so, so, if it, you know, so it's important to understand that and, you know, the best strategy in this case would be to have a goal in terms of how much you want to spend, you know, to completely plan it out. And then when you go shopping, you need to have automatic, automatic checks in place that will allow you not to engage in impulsive buying. You know, so, for example, I almost always tell people that, you know, keep your credit cards at home. Whatever budget you have set aside for uh, spending, you know, take that much of cash or something with you. That will deter you, and it will have an automatic check against
1: impulsive buying. Let me run this one by you. You're a management professor, so you can tell me if I'm crazy or not. I tend to tell people, try to remember the last three things you got for the holidays last year. Most people people can't. Exactly. So stop buying stuff. People don't remember it. Instead, buy a bottle of wine and share it with them and, and become friends with people.
3: So, you know, again, I think in a lot of these things, whether it's impulsive buying or whether it's losing weight, whether it's, you know, fixing a lot of these economic bad habits, you know, a key to all of this is, you know, having a more honest self-evaluation, right? And an honest self-evaluation means that starting to write down everything, you know, so you can remember what you were doing when you, know, you were psychologically basically out of control.
1: Sounds good. Is there anything else that we need to know about economic spending?
3: Mm, you know, I hope our economy, you know, bounces out of recession really fast. you think that's going to happen? I think it'll happen. You know, so um, you know, like, you know, in all of these things, I'm always um happy to follow what Warren Buffett says. And, you know, one of his big things is that he does, he says I don't know what'll happen in one year or six months, but we know that in four or five years, we're going to be doing much better than what, where we are today. You know, uh, and uh, you know, I think we can contribute as consumers to our economic and our own well-being. You know, by getting a better sense of where we are in terms of our spending habits and implementing the necessary controls that we have to.
1: Ten years ago, our government wasn't spending as much as they are today. We weren't saving that much 10 years ago, but now we're saving even less and we feel feel a lot more poor. Um, Any opinion on where we'll be as far as government spending? Do you, as a professor, do you care about that or do you have any insight?
3: Um, Yeah, so I care deeply about spending, you know. So, uh, you know, so I think, you know, the spending has two aspects, right? So government spending... uh, is only good if the government has the money to spend you know um, any household if it continues to borrow and spend we know what the outcome is eventually either you have to have a lot of credit piled up or go bankrupt uh you know so so government has a dual mandate in my opinion you know they have to ensure that they do things that keep the economy going and make it more and more productive so our economy is expanding you know so and, and there is some role for government spending, but there is no role for reckless government spending. So, unfortunately, the problem in government is always, you know, the hard choices that need to be made. And, in, and you know, people in government often always tend to trade off the future for the present. Thanks you know, very much. My opinion is the hard choice.
1: Thanks very much. It's Vikas Matal from Rice yep. Universality. Thanks for joining us. if you want to comment on anything he had to say. Impulse Mine is really kind of interesting. One of the things that I do on my holiday Christmas show is say, come up with a list of 10 people that you know. 10 people to get a list uh, holiday gift for. For instance, I might have Jen, my radio producer. I might have Heidi, my radio producer. I might have my boss, John Scott. Hmm. Then I come up with Catherine Heenan at Cron and Heather Donald at Cron. I start Jacqueline Bennett I could throw a soccer player in here or there. Um, And then you start going like, I won't know him in five years. I won't know her in five years. I don't... The only people that are really important to me, Heidi, John Scott, and my news director at Cron. Those are the only people that are going to gifts. The other 10, you're off the list in large part... I'm not going to know you in 5, 10, 15 years. So I cut my list down from 10 to three. And those are the people that I get guests for. Maybe four through 10 get a bottle of wine. Maybe four through 10 get a, uh, a carton of cigarettes. Maybe four through 10 get a good piece of veal. But one through three are the people that I really want to concentrate my focus in on. I don't know if that makes any sense to you at all. And again, I agree with Vicus, but what's, this is the most unrealistic thing in the world. It's super unrealistic. Setting a budget. Let's say my, my list of 10 is $100, $100, $100, $20, $20, $20, $20, $20, $20, $20. So you go to the bank and you get your money and you go seven times 20, 140 plus 300, 440. And do you really think you're going to shop like that? Very, very few people do, but that's how you have a budget. And if you stick to your budget, you set goals in life, you fund your 401k, you'll find that you're able to save money. You don't stick to budget and you impulse buy, you go down the toilet. The video game industry has overcome a wave of impulse purchases fueled primarily by creative packaging. This is where corporate America gets us. They know how to, to to market to us. They know what pushes our impulse button. 40% of video game buyers stated that they purchased a game on impulse in the past six months despite the recent recession. Now, the large percentage of shoppers buying a game on impulse coincides with a rise in low-cost used games, which flourished during the recessionary months to the tune of $65 a month. Study also reveals that manufacturers look to capitalize on impulse purchases. They have a strong focus on packaging. In-store impulse is what it's all about. Images are descriptions of on-game packaging. 25% are swayed by in-store demonstrations of the game. So you want me to buy Rock Band? You show me Rock Band because I'm not going to buy Rock Band unless you show it to me. And then I go, ooh, that looks like fun. Females are more likely to buy an impulse on video games. 46% of impulse buyers are females compared to just 37% of the planned buyers. I don't know what that's all about. Get your calls in there. It's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. Get your calls in there. It's the Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. It's 910 AM. You can find me online at talk910.com. Talk910.com. Uh, I just got a text. Someone wants their birthday present back. Not going to happen. You gave it to me, you give giver. Ooh, he said Indian giver. American Indians come out of the woodwork to protest the Rob Black Show. Look, bring it on. I need controversy. I need protesters. It's the Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. Nine ten a.m. More stimulating talk. Some people think I was kidding that I only get gifts from my top three people in my life. I'm really not. I don't get gifts from my family members or anything like that. In large part, I'm not a big gift-giving kind of guy. I, honestly, just, it's just not in my nature. It's not that I'm Scrooge. Maybe it is that I'm Scrooge. But my favorite movie of all time is Scrooge. This guy had the best plan in the world. Underpay people, make them work late, give away nothing, save everything... And then at the end of the movie, he F's it all up by, you know, having Tiny Tim or some kid go buy a turkey and give it out to the poor people. Socialist, communist freak show end of the movie. I hope he dies with nothing. I hope he dies eating cat food, that darn Scrooge. Um, In large part, the reason I come back to this again and again and again and again and again and again, I don't remember any Christmas gifts. The best Christmas gifts for me are like photos of my cat, my dog, my family. I love those. I love anything handmade. Anything handmade is wonderful, and it's saved and it's cherished. But when you buy me tickets to, like, a concert, I forget about it. I do. So if you buy me a tie, I won't associate it with you in the least bit. I'll appreciate it. But gifts are silly, in my opinion. So I stand by that. And I think we overspend as a nation on things that, like, sweaters. Ooh, ooh. I don't know. So if it's got some durability to it, I like it. My favorite Christmas gift of all time was the Muppet movie soundtrack. So back when albums were LPs and we we're still spinning discs, um, I grew up. Favorite movie was the Muppet movie as a six-year-old, seven-year-old kid, eight-year-old kid. Loved that movie. Uh, watching it today, it didn't age so well. It really didn't age as well as I thought it would. But you know the Over the Rainbow f- song? Why there's so many songs about rainbow. There was the moving right along. Did it, um, did it, um, with a fuzzy bear. Waka, waka, waka. waka. There was the song with Gonzo who's floating away on balloons and he wants to go back home someday. But Muppet movie really impressed me as a kid. It really put something into me. It was about a, a frog with a dream. He was in the Louisiana swamps and someone was it Dom DeLuise who comes up with to him and says, let's go to Hollywood. And he goes to Hollywood to meet a director and it's Orson Welles and, Orson Welles is going to make him an all-powerful movie television frog. That's me. I was an East Coast financial dude who came out to the West Coast. I brought some friends along with me. That's the only gift that I've ever gotten to this day that I go, whoa. It really summed me up. Someone really figured me out. That was a gift given to me by Juliet, and she's pregnant with some other guy's baby right now. But that's cool. At one point in time, she had some cysts that people didn't think she was going to be able to get pregnant. So I'm I'm thrilled for her. But I totally digress. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in there. It's 800-345-5639. A frog in his dream. Homebuyer tax credit. This is what you care about. You don't care about me. You're like, what's in it for me? Not you. Me, 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 me. Senate Majority Leader Henry Reid. Harry Reid. Let's just call him Henry from now on. He's a Democrat out of Nevada. Henry Reid floated a new version of a popular homebuyer tax credit extension. Aides say he aims to have a vote on measure as part of the coming debate over extending federal unemployment insurance benefits. So no, no, they're not going to have a debate on federal unemployment insurance benefits. They're going to have a debate on extending federal unemployment benefit insurance as long as you put this rider, this crap piece of legislation on top of it. The alternative proposal would continue to favor the 8,000 credit four months past its current November 30 expiration and gradually phase it out after that. The value of the credit would drop by 2,000 every quarter until halted completely by the end of 2010. Proposals latest of at least three different Senate alternatives ensure the credit doesn't expire at the end of November. Another increased its limits to 15,000, as well as open it up to all homebuyers instead of just first time homebuyers. The plan would yet raise the income thresholds to allow more people to buy. What about the people who live in apartments and like it? What about the people who homeless people? Why don't we give homeless people a tax credit to go out and buy new boxes? Like, why is it, you know, homeowners? Why is it that? Because they're trying to prop up something that still could collapse. I think this is, once again, Congress just effing up the system. You don't create demand. You can't stimulate demand. It's like pushing a string. You can artificially get it out there, but you push it forward. It's problematic. United States, we've passed the 100 mark. Get the party out. Happy days are here again. Oh, no, no. It's U.S. bank failures have reached 100. In fact, U.S. bank failures have reached 106. Regulators closed seven more small banks over the weekend, marking the highest annual level of failed institutions since 1992 during the savings and loan crisis. Now, the number is expected to continue to rise. As the industry tries to get a handle on commercial real estate loans that will continue to deteriorate, more strip malls, they'll go vacant. Condo developments will remain stalled. Seven banks that shut themselves down. Let's see which one was it. Um, Any around here. There's Partners Bank in Florida, American Unit Bank in Georgia, Hillcrest Bank in Florida, Flagship National in Florida, Bank of Elmwood in Wisconsin, and Riverview Community Bank in Minnesota. As well as First Dupage, DuPage, Bank of Illinois. What do those all have in common? I'll give you a second. I'll give you a second. There's a the right answer. There's a the right answer. Small and regional banks. They're not the big ones. They're not the ones that risk systemic problems to our system. They're the mom and pops. This week, there's a lot of news, economically speaking. Verizon, for instance, came out with earnings. Tomorrow, we're going to get Visa. Visa is one of those companies I think you can hold till the day you die. But tomorrow, we're also going to get the S&P Case-Shiller Index on Home Prices. We're going to get the Conference Board Contact. The Conference Board releases the Consumer Confidence Index for October. Consumer Confidence, one of those weird statistics that not a lot of us use. DreamWorks Animation and E-Trade are going to release third quarter results as well on Tuesday. On Wednesday, we get the Commerce Department telling us how durable goods are doing. And what are durable goods? goods that are meant to last more than a month or two. We're also going to get new home sales for September. Wednesday, we're also going to get Conoco, Phillips, Quest, and WellPoint Financial, all releasing WellPoint Health, all releasing their, their earnings. On Thursday, we're going to get weekly jobless claims. We're going to get a little bit more on third quarter GDP. Freddie Mac, the mortgage company, is going to release mortgage rates. We're going to get Exxon, Motorola, Sprint, Aetna. They're going to release earnings. Procter & Gamble is going to release quarterly results. We're getting a lot of economic data this week is what I'm trying to get out to you. And probably the most important one is Friday's personal income spending for September. Plus, we're going to get the employment cost index for the third quarter. We're also going to get Chevron, Weyhauser, and Duke Energy release numbers. But personal spending, that's what it comes down to. Our economy stalls if we don't spend money. Good article today in the San Francisco Gate. You're not going to hear me say that all, all that often. Typically, I use the Chronicle to line my cat's litter box. My cat's name is Kit Kat. My dog's name is Maisie the Wonder Dog. Oh, by the way, for those of you keeping track, we've had Dan Rusinowski on twice. Since he's been on, Sharks are 4-1. and one. 800 winning percentage. That's right. They swept two this weekend. Am I going to be an official Sharks ambassador at some point in time? I'd like to be. I'd like to go out on center ice and, and drop the puck or maybe sing the national anthem. Am I pushing it after just two weeks? <laughs> yes, I am. And you do not want to hear me sing the national anthem. But if we can make it happen, make it happen. Again, who do I hate in this world? Hate Ron Owens. He always wins talk show host of the year. What can you do to make me happy in any end of the year poll? I just saw that Armstrong and Getty won another one. Best morning radio talk show hosts. I want to win a radio talk show award. I want to take it from Ron Owens and his his deathly, like, nasty skeletal grasp. I want to take it from him. I want a Watusi on his grave. So if you see any voting polls, vote Rob Black. Now, anyway, let's talk about the state of California. Underemployed compound. The state's jobless troubles. Underemployed. Are you kidding me? We know what employment is. We know what unemployment is. But underemployed? It's an unfortunate job trend. And it's not reflected in the unemployment rate. There's a good article in San Francisco Gate about this today. A full-time server. Waiter. You know, recession hits, and they don't have the hours anymore. Hotels are downsizing. Restaurants are downsizing. People aren't going out as often. It's better than a layoff, but it requires a lot of sacrifices. and You don't necessarily get paid for being underemployed. It's a broader measure. The underemployment rate, which in addition to joblessness, includes people who could get only part-time work, as well as those who want jobs but were too discouraged to look. Now, the state of California, our Employment Development Department, estimates that the underemployment rate in the month of September hit 21.9%. Now, I keep hearing Meg Whitman running for governor, and the only thing I keep hearing is jobs, 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 jobs. I've heard nothing else she said. She talked to John and Ken for an hour plus, and the only thing I heard was jobs, 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 It's interesting, right? Will we vote for jobs? Will we vote for a recession? Now, that figure includes 1.9 million jobless Californians, 1.4 million people who had to work part-time, and 865,000 adults who are loosely described as discouraged. I would go as furth- far as to refer to them as loosely described as discouraged and living with mom and dad. Now, underemployment is the highest level since we started keeping these records in 1994. So says Sylvia Algreto out of UC Berkeley. The Employment Development Department, which publishes the state's jobless rate, has not typically calculated underemployment. But it's showing you that our economy is a lot weaker than we think it is. Paul Wesson, I think his family invented Wesson Oil, an economist with the department, said one reason is that the broader measure tends to rise and fall in concert with traditional jobless rates. So both indicators kind of provide the same signal. But all the data that tells us right now is that the worst economic downturn since World War II, it hurts Recessions since the early 1990s have been followed by relatively sluggish sluggish job recoveries what's also referred to as the jobless recovery Economist Armer Mann out of the Bureau of Labor Statistics in San Francisco he said the agency started to publish a national unemployment rate after the 1990s recession so there's a lot of research out there now trying to figure this out and what it actually means to economics Employers who need to cut costs, they often choose to reduce hours as an alternative to layoffs. You don't want to actually fire the people beneath you, but you can't afford to pay them. You can't make your payroll, so you cut them, which creates even a bigger problem with employment numbers. Is Down the road, what we do first is we start bringing those people back up to full-time. You see what we do? It's been frustrating, to say the least. I think it's a tough, tough tough job market. I don't think the recession's all that big of a deal to me, but the jobless recovery, I know it's a big deal to you. And why do I say the recession's not a big deal to me? Because I see our, our economy working. I see the earnings coming out of Wall Street. I see what we can do with less consumers, but I see what we need to pay bills on a regular basis. But the jobless recovery is frustrating. 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-345- 5639. It's the Rob Black Show. This was predictable.
2: I'm Rob Black. There are so many
0: Songs about rainbows. Scratchy
1: vinyl. I like the dirty sound of vinyl. On Wednesday, I'm going to do a sin show. One of the things that I will highlight is a mutual fund called Vicex, V-I-C-E-X. It buys shares of companies that are relatively referred to as SINs. So beer, alcohol, tobacco, missiles, sex. I got tons of content on the dirtier side of investing. Tons. We'll be discussing the economic impact of adult businesses on local economies with special guest Mike Powers of the Power Exchange. Kind of an awkward moment. Heidi, my producer, lovely and talented, married Sent me an email saying, Here's a good website for research. <laughs> I was like, Ooh, gross, dirty, no. And she's into some crazy stuff. That's all I got to say. Let me fix that statement. No, no. It really wasn't that bad, but it's funny to tease her. Was it kink.com? Kink.com, dot com. It's funny the differences between what men like in porn and what women like in porn massively different so on Wednesday I'll open it up to your favorite porn sites if you want to call in 800-345-5639 it's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air let's do a little bit of tech talk these are companies these are stories to me that are tech geared tech oriented that have some sort of relevance in the world of investing Carl Icahn he announces resignation from the board of directors at Yahoo now why is this important Board of directors are the people who come up with these insane compensation packages. Board of directors are the company people that come up with mergers and acquisitions. Board of directors are the company people that say, let's fire 10% of the staff versus all of us taking a 20% pay cut. They are the brains of a company. And if you really want to succeed as an investor, you need to know who's on the board of every company you invest in. Does Carl Icahn have a history of success or failure? Does that board have a history of success or failure where they've worked before? It's really important. Like, would you invest in a, oh, good golly, let's come up with an example. Okay, okay, okay. If you had a chance to invest in the coach of the management of the Detroit Lions versus the New England Patriots, you'd be like, ooh, I'm going with the Patriots. You get what winning's all about. They get it. Kraft as an owner, knows how to spend money wisely. Ford and the people who own Detroit Lions don't know how to spend money wisely. And for the record, I don't know if Ford still owns Detroit Lions. Don't tell me if I'm wrong. That's the number one rule of the show is don't correct the host or he will beat down on you. He will beat down on you like Hurricane Katrina on New Orleans. So Yahoo CEO Carol Bartz um, had a little bit comment on um, the ongoing relationship with Carl Icahn. I- Icahn's kind of a jerk. He's one of those billionaires that that knows more about Fashion models than business models. No, no, no. He actually has more about business models than fashion models. But he's seen with fashion models, and that kind of creeps me out when you see an eighty-year-old uh, man who's just—he's one huge liver spot. That's all he is. He's a living, breathing liver spot out with a young hottie. Anyway, neither here nor there. He's leaving the board. He's oftentimes been tied towards being shareholder friendly because he's trying to get the company to sell Microsoft. Now, Microsoft. Speaking of which, <laughs> the Windows Seven came out. Woo! Did everyone have a Windows 7 party this weekend? Did we all upgrade our computers? Nope, not really. Um, An analyst today talks about the strong client and Xbox revenue and cost control at Microsoft and how they had a pretty good quarter. Operating expense outlook was lowered a little bit. They're not going to be spending money building things if they don't have the money coming in. Buying Microsoft shares is a way to play recovering IT spending. There's other ways to play the recovering IT spending. Microsoft's not a bad one. Intel's not a bad one. Dell and HP, not bad. So I could see Microsoft getting up to 32 bucks a share pretty easily. And as it gets higher, as the economy does better, I think their margins have room to improve. You're about the test tube baby who wanted a womb with a view. Telabs. Here's a company that I wish would just go away. Just go away. Telabs was with us in the 1980s and 1990s. Go away, Telabs. They're still publicly traded. I don't want them to be. They haven't done anything in 10 plus years. If you've done nothing for shareholders in 10 plus years, go away. Hide. Die. Get out of the business. You don't need to be publicly traded. You don't need access to shares, access to cash via your shares. Go away. Now, Here's a company I don't know much about. I'm telling you, I don't know much about, but it's a tech company. And they got something that's considered to be a hot product. And I like hot products and technology. It's called Novatel Wireless. Have you heard of them? No. NVTL, what do they do? They prove that you can take it with you. You know how they say you can't take it with you? They, they actually prove that you can. The company designs wireless modems. So you can take it with you. They offer a series of wireless PC and modems known as the Merlin Embedded wireless modules for OEMs, known as Expedite, and desktop wireless gateway consoles, known as Ovation. It's got a mobile link software bundled with modems and embedded modules. Connects mobile devices with wireless WANs. And Novatel also offers activation provisioning integration services. Revenues in the last three years, not impressive. Earnings in the last three years, not really that impressive. They had a good start, but then they fell apart with the recession. So fundamentally, I'm not crazy about Maybe opportunistic fundamentally. But Barons did a piece on Novatel this weekend. And they got this new pocket called pocket-sized product called MyFi. M I F I. It's gonna be the hottest selling gadget over the next couple months. So says Barons. It's a battery-powered device which serves as a portable Wi-Fi network. Okay, wait. Battery-powered device. So it's handheld, serves as a portable Wi-Fi network. It connects to the net through a third-generation or 3G cellular modem, and then it converts that into a Wi-Fi signal. Now, the MiFi will likely deliver a large profit to Novotel. The consensus amongst analysts is that earnings will climb 29 cents this year. Last year, they lost money. This year, they're going to earn money. Further gain of 45%. The MiFi sales could be flat, and they'll still do well. Even if the number looks too cautious, John Bright, he follows the stock for Avondale Partners. He claims that his peers are greatly underestimating the rapid growth of cellular data services. He says the cellular service providers are faced with a nearly saturated market for voice plans, and they're increasingly pushing data through services, and they're starting to cut prices. Now, that could help the laptop penetration closer to 25% from the current estimate of about 18%. So this is all about getting your laptop and your Kindle and your iPhone, or maybe it's a netbook on the Wi-Fi networks that are close to your Wi-Fi network. I don't really know much about the Wi-Fi. You can go to NovoTel Wireless and you can find out more about it. It's just one of those stories that to me was intriguing. What about the death of the newspaper? Is it upon us? The decline in U.S. newspaper circulation... It's accelerating as the industry struggles with defections to the internet and tumbling ad revenue. Real quick, back to the MiFi device, Novotel wireless modem. It might be working with the Apple tablet. Keep in mind, the Kindle ebook readers, they need a wireless modem in order to get the books through the cellular networks. So the Verizons and the AT&T wirelesses, they're killing each other right now, trying to come up with ways to sell more services, maybe to the bookmaker maybe to the book reader, maybe to the the bookseller. So that's what that's all about. I I don't have a good grasp of it yet on the MiFi, MiFi, but I'll get a good grasp on it and I'll I'll update you when I have it. Now, the declining U.S. newspaper circulation is accelerating. A lot more defections to the internet, a lot of tumbling revenue. Listen to this. According to the Audit Bureau of Circulations, circulations dropped 10% in the April to September period, and they're expected to drop the same amount throughout all of 2009. That's greater than the 7% decline last year. Sunday circulation fell about 7.5%. Who gets newspapers delivered anymore? I certainly don't understand it. I don't. Wall Street Journal is surpassing USA Today as the top-selling newspaper in the United States, and I say hallelujah to that. The Journal of the New York Times and only Papers worth reading. The Journal's average Monday through Friday circulation remained unchanged at 2.02 million. Only 2.02 million people are subscribing to the journal. Or households. Newspaper sales have been declining since the early 1990s. But the drop has accelerated in recent years. Last week. Newsday said they're going to start subscribing for weekly access to their website. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. People feel nickel to dime as it is. Wednesday I'm doing a send show you want to call the show right now and get your calls on the air with me, you got to wait 22 hours. But I'll put you on hold for 22 hours. 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. Thanks for putting through with me and my flu. See you tomorrow